0: The hogs are going to Omaha. No, intermission. No, it's halftime. You can actually feel Razorback Stadium shaking underneath our feet right now.
1: He's gotta keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. Arkansas wins a national championship! But I
0: say comes to this
2: basketball team is the law. Absolutely and without discussion. I have been trying to get you together with Ty. Strikeouts are boring. Besides that they're fascist. Throw some ground
0: balls. more democratic. This is the Halftime Podcast presented by Jeff's Clubhouse. Sometimes a team that's getting ready for a ball game that could decide, you know, where they're gonna play for a baseball postseason, maybe. Uh, there's uh, there's a little tension when a team has already taken batting practice and they're sitting here in front of you in a uh, in a baseball locker room that was built initially for a double A baseball team years ago. I think when this park opened in 1980 uh, something, and uh, and now uh, since you know most most college baseball parks don't have a visiting locker room, uh, they'll have the home locker room and teams at the SEC baseball tournament show up in uniform to the baseball park, so the locker room is their hotel. Uh, so here we are. And, you know, yesterday I was able to we, we had a short show right time. We did 30 minutes, 23 minutes with the commercials, because we do sell airtime usually on this radio station. We got to, we got a chance to record it and it worked really well. We're up in the radio booth, the same booth that we were sitting there for the Arkansas Ole Miss ball game. Uh, but there are only four radio booths and there's already one session being played at the Hoover Met today. And game one continues. Um, and that's Ole Miss and Texas A&M, a game that started at 9.30 in the morning, and neither team was able to put up a run until the ninth inning, and Texas A&M is now trying to bat for their lives, and the next teams on the field is going to be a good matchup of two Tigers, the Auburn Tigers and LSU, Um, and that's coming up uh, in, we're supposed to be at 12.30. So uh, I don't have access to the radio booth uh, that I'll be doing the Arkansas-Georgia game later on uh, because somebody else is in it right now. So, in full preparation, getting ready for that, I uh, spoke with the people at the SEC. They had uh, a they had a big room, actually, a, a fairly large room available for us to do the show from today. It is known um, as the photo work area. Uh, that's, I guess, where all the photographers come down here to uh, send their photos out to whatever uh, organizations they are selling the photos to. Um, and it also would, it works pretty well for a radio studio, even though it's a little bit echoey. You know, it's one of these old baseball clubhouses that doesn't have anything on the walls. There are no uniforms hanging in the lockers to suck up the sound. So, you know, the, the sound bounces around a little bit, but it works. It works really well. Um, but you do have to take advantage of of the storage area that you're given and when you're a baseball team that's already taken batting practice and there's nowhere else to go and you don't want to sit out in the stands where in the bright sunshine it's probably 91 or 92 degrees right now and you want to try to stay as cool as you possibly can you find access in a place that can hold a baseball team which happens to be the same place that i'm doing this radio show from right now so i am sharing sharing the um, the halftime mobile studio, which what is this? Is this the twenty fifth or twenty sixth different place that I'm I'm doing this show from, Ty? You want to take a swing at how many how many places?
1: I would guess that it's above thirty at this point, Phil. I mean, you probably know more than I do because you're the one that's going on location each time. But it seems like that we might have crossed the threshold of thirty at this point.
0: Well, it's the third different location in Hoover that that, that we're doing the show from. We had the conference room set up like the boardroom where I told Dominic Fletcher he was fired. Um, in jest. Uh, yesterday, we had the the visiting radio booth uh, that I was in. So that'd be the second. And then there's this one. There's the there's the uh, the photo workroom slash mobile halftime studio slash Auburn holding area, because the Auburn Tigers are in here, too, uh, waiting to uh, see the outcome of this Ole Miss Texas A&M game. So I would have never thought, Ty, that I would actually be a humongous Ole Miss baseball fan at the very moment so that we could get this studio <laughs> Uh, almost empty to be able to do a show without the Auburn baseball players hearing every single word that I am saying. Uh, Unless they're the ones that have their earbuds in and their AirPods and they're listening to music. The coaches that are over here to my left are doing a good job trying to ignore, but they're smiling every once in a while. This is a little awkward. I've done and uh, – I'm I'm, I'm hoping Auburn does well today. I really am.
1: There you go. And yet you're carrying yourself so well in that situation. I'm not going to lie. If I had – 20-some-odd baseball players surrounding me, putting on their gear, talking to each other. I don't know how I'd handle myself, but it's just another day in the life for Phil Elson, and you're handling it with these, man.
0: I mean, I, I've done radio in a lot of different places, but we've done 25 different studios for this show in the last eight and a half months, like Sturge's, uh, like Sturge's guest bedroom in South Carolina, or like my old bedroom in Pittsburgh in my parents' house where I did the show there, or various conference rooms and hotels and, and hotel rooms and baseball parks and wherever um, – But I've also, I mean, I've done baseball at a, I mean, the first baseball game I ever did by myself. I'm sandwiched between a public address announcer and an an official scorer with no room between the two of us. And we're just kind of shoulder to shoulder. And I'm doing my first game. I've done games outside at card tables in 36 degrees and snow in Butte, Montana. So, I mean, it was a little bit awkward there. Um, I've done games on roofs. We have uh, AA ballparks when the phone lines went dead, and the best thing we could do is go under the roof with our cell phones. Uh, I've done games in beer gardens down the right field line at Dickie Stevens Park in Little Rock. Um, I keep talking about wanting to do a game in the hog pen. Uh, I kept, I, I keep bugging them about it, but, you know, I guess it costs too much money to run an Internet line out there. Um, I, I, I guess the only thing that would be a little more awkward than doing it right in this situation is doing a radio show in the middle of the street, in the middle of the interstate, with cars zooming back and forth and trying to turn it into some human frogger. So right now, I mean, I mean Texas A&M just hit a double. Uh, they got the tying run at second base with one out in the ninth inning. Ole Miss has closer Parker Caracci out there, who's got an ERA that's over five, but he can be really good sometimes. So I mean, right now I'm a huge Parker Kuechly fan, and I need this. We all need this game to end so that Auburn can go out and play baseball, which is what they're here to do, and that we can get this room uh, for the radio show. But I'll tell you what: sometimes you just have to you just have to be thankful for the memorable situations that you're thrown into, and this is at the top of the list.
1: I'm just surprised one of the players or coaches for Auburn hasn't made you take off your Arkansas Razorback hat and throw on a, a War Eagle hat. They haven't given you some apparel or a A different hat or whatever—they're not giving you a hard time, I guess. But that's—it just means more in the SEC's fill, and I guess they're just being accommodating for you as you're trying to do this radio show.
0: They're very accommodating. They almost it almost feels like they feel like they've walked into my own clubhouse, you know. They and college baseball players are always polite. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But sometimes when you walked into a minor league clubhouse, they weren't always the most polite. You feel like you're walking into um, well, yeah, I mean, it's a clubhouse. There's a reason that they call it a clubhouse and not a locker room in baseball because there's certain, you know, like clubhouse rules that go on there and sometimes you don't fit in. It's like, you know, play it's that's a place for players. And that's what this room used to be. This used to be a place for players, but I don't think a lot of players have been inside this room for a long time. Probably since the Double A team moved downtown, I guess, like seven or eight years ago. So, all right, A and M's down to their final out. Ty, do we want? Do we want to pull a little hottie totty here? Do we? Do we? Do we want to openly root for Ole Miss?
1: Well, I already had to do that already. If you remember when Arkansas blew the game against Ole Miss, and my buddies and I had that bet, I already had to do the hottie tottie on air. So, I will not be singing that disgraceful. Theme song that goes along with their tradition and their school but you're welcome to I, I wouldn't recommend it but you you can if you want
0: strike two tie strike two to the Aggies hitter they're one strike away from this team packing up their stuff just and yell just,
1: as soon as as soon as the game's over get out just yell that at the Auburn players see what see what their reaction is I,
0: I might be more excited for an Ole Miss victory right here than I would an Arkansas victory over Georgia later on today Because that game, honestly, we'll get into this in a little bit. That game doesn't mean anything, except it's going to be a really good baseball game.
1: So let's talk about this game yesterday, Phil. I'm surprised we're honest, but we've just been goofing around a little bit. So you beat Ole Miss 5-3. You got a good game out of Matt Cronin. You got a solid performance out of Patrick Wicklater in the first four innings. We'll start with Cronin. I heard you and Bubba on the broadcast because I drove to my MRI appointment. I was watching it on Watch ESPN, and then I drove back listening to you and Bubba on the radio There was a breaking ball he threw that you guys described as the best one you've seen from him this year. Phil, we know about his fastball. We know what he brings to the table with that pitch. If he gets these other pitches going, that's going to be trouble for some of the other opponents that he faces the rest of the postseason play. Yeah,
0: there's no doubt. And I think it's to the point where you almost could count the number of curveballs that Matt Cronin had thrown on two hands this year. It looks like the old Miss just won. Auburn's packing up. Auburn's packing up. Swing and a miss. Strike three. Ball game over. All right.
1: See you, War Eagle. It's been it's been a good ride. He Go has- get
0: them, Tigers. War Eagle today. <laughs> War Eagle today. Hopefully to stick around another game. I don't have the bracket in front of me, so I'm not sure if they would end up being Arkansas's opponent if the Hogs lose tomorrow. Because what you're playing for today is a day off, you know, to move to the semifinals on Saturday and into the, the second single elimination round of this weird tournament. Uh, so... I know they're kind of playing, you know. And here's the thing Arkansas isn't playing for anything right now. Um, I feel like, the, you know, they, same with Georgia, you know, they're playing to just go out and win a baseball game, which is what they're, which is what they both teams are so good at. So I'll, I'll answer your question here. Um, for Cronin, dropping in the curveball was huge, huge. His fastball looked great. It looked overpowering. And I think his velocity was right where it usually is. And his fastball is so is so special because of its spin rate and its ability to just stay on its plane a little bit longer than than most fastballs do. But with, when, when he's able to throw that curveball in, because even some of the best SEC hitters, uh, I mean, even some of the worst SEC hitters, can catch up with that fastball sometimes. I mean, if they're sitting on it and it's right there, uh, they can hit it. But if there's another pitch they got to think about, then they there's going to be a little bit of doubt in the back of their minds so his ability and he threw back-to-back curveballs against that hitter and uh, i think it was it was tyler keenan it was the lefty that he finished the game against he threw back-to-back curveballs uh after getting ahead oh one through strike two with a curve another curve that he bounced but it was good to see him throw it two in a row i think this is a pitch that can be very very important for matt cronin in the course of this season, and definitely in the course of his career, because he can't just be a fastball guy in in the minor leagues or in the majors. If you know, if you're not throwing 102, and I don't think he's going to be throwing 102.
1: And it's good for scouts that are seeing this, because if he starts throwing it a little more in the postseason, and it, it's one thing to throw it, it's another thing to throw it by hitters and them to swing and miss, but. It looks good just for scouts to be able to see that he's starting to develop another pitch or two. Phil, you mentioned something before I asked you this question. You mentioned that Arkansas is really not playing anything. John and I got into a little bit of the post game yesterday, and I think you can answer this question more adequately. If Arkansas was to beat Georgia today, the only head-to-head competition they've had this year, how would the NCAA selection committee look at this one game that was played on the neutral field in order to decide... Who goes above who in the top eight seats?
0: Yeah, I don't that that's a really good question because on on field usually you should decide things a little bit more in a committee's eye for me. You know, that's why you almost feel like all things being equal and Mississippi State does have a couple more wins than Arkansas, but the Hogs tied them for the division and then have the three-game sweep against Mississippi State. That should pay some dividends when the committee is making their decision. I don't know if one game, though, makes that makes that decision for you. A three-game series or a two-game series, you get a better sense. One game, I'm not sure if that's the case. Um, so, I mean, it may, maybe a win over, over Georgia uh, gets you, you know, instead of, a, instead of a five, a four, I don't know. Um, but I just f- I feel like what it is is that first of all, it's a chance for Isaiah Campbell to go out there and if anybody you know is talking about the chip on the shoulder, now is a chance to go up against one of the best lineups in the country and and go out there and shove. hopefully, like he'd, and he and he didn't shove against Mississippi State and Vanderbilt, but he pitched well against both those lineups. Uh, I think another start like that. And for him, it's big individually because, hey, You know, the Major League Baseball draft is in a couple of weeks, and scouts will want to see Isaiah Campbell against top-level competition, and Georgia is that sort of level. So I think individually for him, um, this is an opportunity to maybe improve your draft stock a little bit.
1: So we started with the question about Matt Cronin. Let's get back into pitching. You saw what you saw from Patrick Whitlander. He had four scoreless innings, got a little trouble in the fourth. He ends up pitching four and a third. And I think as an Arkansas fan, Phil, you're a little more confident after what you saw from him yesterday than obviously you were from the Texas A&M series. What did you take away from his game? Because I know he was a little sporadic at times. I only think he threw about 52% of strikes. I think that was Hutch's stat that he calculated. Mm-hmm. What would you take away from his game yesterday?
0: You know, it's funny because Wicklander had been behind in the count in the last two games, but had trouble still getting outs in those situations. And I mean, if I'm looking at my scorebook here, I'm seeing he's able to get a, get away with a 3-1 count a couple of times. Um, and 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 you know, he there was that bout of wildness. I mean, he did hit two batters. Um, he did. He only walked one, but the two hit batsman, and there were at least three pitches. He threw to the backstop yesterday. Even Not like if there Costi was an... though,
1: taking a dude's head off. <laughs> that was,
0: yeah, that, that was, <laughs> that's a whole other story. Um, but I guess, you know, this is, it's just something with Wicklander that I think is, uh, is his demon for right now. You know, they call it a bugaboo in baseball. The thing that you got to try to overcome. And for Wicklander, it's, it's command issues. It's, it's great stuff. Uh, just not sure where it's where it's going yet, and 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 you would like to think and hope that 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 uh, maturation as a pitcher comes over the next year or two, um, and look at his stuff is terrific, and it looked really good yesterday. He did a good breaking ball, he had a decent change up, he had a really good fastball, but you cannot consistently be behind in the count. Uh, plus putting guys on base, you know, before there are two outs. Uh, but, at, you know, for four innings, mostly, I mean, his stuff pitched. So that was good to see that at least, he, you know, he gets through four innings. I'd like to see him get into the sixth next time out.
1: So you like what you got from Cron- – you really like what you got from and You kind of like what you got from Wicklander bullpen-wise. You saw Costy shock, you saw Scroggins, and you – who's the other – and you saw Cops yesterday. Now, Cops mm-hmm. got a little unlucky with that one that went off his, like, foot or leg. That should have been a double play, and it wasn't. And I think there was one other – one that should have been a double play that wasn't. That's been one of the biggest concerns that you've kind of addressed, that Arkansas fans have addressed, is the bullpen. you think thinking the Ramage is probably going to be the first one out after Campbell's done today. What did you assess from the bullpen that you saw against Ole Miss?
0: Well, I mean, it's a this is this is the way that Dave likes to go out and win a game. These are his top four relievers: Cops, Scroggins, Schock, and Cronin. And I don't think there are really many times where you could look at all four of them pitching in the same game. Um, you know, which which makes you think neither of them worked all that hard. You know, I mean, Cody Cody Scroggins only faced. Uh, you know, four batters and through looks like about 16 pitches, 17 pitches. Kosti shot through 13, Crowley in 15. So conceivably any one of them could be available to come out and pitch again today. So I think it'd be interesting to see how they're used today um, because in a, in a regional format and certainly in a super regional format, if you have a chance to go out and win a second game with your best guys and you didn't work them too hard the day before, I'm very interested to see how they pitch. Uh, on on a day without rest, because if you win today, you get rest tomorrow, and then you worry about Saturday and how. You, and on Saturday, that's really when you're lining up what your pitching looks like for the regional. But um, you know, I think Cody looked pretty good. He had really good stuff. His velocity was nice costy shock's velocity was good, and I think it was good to see him battle back after, you know, the error by by Martin to start the eighth inning and then and then beating Johnson on the helmet. Uh, the next two batters he pitched uh, really well against. And it's also interesting to me, and I might ask Dave about this in the pregame, he has quite often this year, and really the last four outings for costy shock he's only gone two-thirds of an inning. I think Dave likes to use Cronin for a fourth out. He's a four-out save guy right now, and not necessarily a two-inning save guy, but he's like a four-out save guy. and. And this has been one of the patterns that, that they've used Cronin in. And sometimes it's because he's facing a lefty. But I also think there's something that Dave likes about getting Cronin hot and getting him in the eighth inning and then bringing him back for the ninth.
1: How about Curtis Washington on his birthday yesterday? You get him in a pinch run. He ends up going for home and getting it. What did you think about his play? And we talked about the team's speed so many times this this season. That was on display yesterday.
0: Yeah, it's one of those awesome coaching moves made that's just you got to know the right guy for the right situation. And Matt Goodhart, who, who CJ ran for, is fast, but he's not the best base runner. And it's funny, too, because we continuously describe Curtis Washington as a raw baseball player, but he showed real baseball base running instincts yesterday. And I was pretty impressed, by the way, that he, A, had the the, the read on the ball in the dirt that got him from second to third base and a really nice slide around the tag on a throw that beat him. and then then what he scored on from third base is called the contact play so you know if there's contact made you are running on a ground ball it's just a matter of you got to have that quick first step and probably know you've got to make a good aggressive and maybe creative slide and and cj did that and it didn't look to me like he was just raw he looked like somebody who knows how to run the bases so i was impressed with him
1: so we've talked a lot this time the times of season about the freshmen whether it's Nolan whether it's Wicklander we've talked about Trevor Zell coming in Jack Kinley was on this team has been on this team the last two years but didn't play a ton last season but Phil yesterday he was y'all's player of the game and he came up big with those three RBIs
0: he really did and it's so easy to root for Jack and and the last two years you there were two things a he wasn't mature physically he couldn't he wasn't an everyday player last year that just that just wasn't the case about him but this year physically he is he's given the chance and he has run with it uh, becoming a pretty consistent hitter i think he's now hit in um, nine straight games hitting over 400 against top top level pitching lsu AM, and and then yesterday against ole miss and uh, and he's somebody this team really counts on and they've lacked that two out hit right now the last few games it's really been lacking but it didn't lack from Kenley yesterday that was that was really awesome to see and then later on in a situation where you're just looking for contact with Washington at third base and he made the sort of contact you were looking for you know it it doesn't look big just contact in a situation but that's what you're looking for and he drove in the run and it was great plus he made a great play at second base kenley's one of the easiest guys to root for on this team
1: I want to thank my buddy Jeff Taylor at Jeff's Clubhouse for sponsoring the Halftime Pod. Jeff's has the best soups, sandwiches, and salads in the area. The peppercorn ranch is to die for. Reuben, off the charts. If you haven't been to Jeff's Clubhouse in Fort Smith, you got to go check it out. Back to the Halftime Pod. Let's go.
0: Uh, we're joined a little earlier than usual today by Bob Holt, who is here in Hoover as well. Uh, Bob, we usually hear your uh, golden tones on the phone, but we get to hear you on the headset today. Thanks for coming downstairs into the uh, ex-Auburn locker room.
2: Oh, yeah. I was trying to find you, and I actually opened up the door to the umpire's room. They were putting their stuff (laughs) on. I just said, hey, sorry, guys. They, They were very cool about it. Nobody got upset. It's a little uh, bit of
0: a maze here, isn't it?
2: Yeah, you know, uh, they got all these. You got all the black curtains, so you're not quite sure. The interview room is down here, and then I started to come in here, and I saw the Auburn players. And I thought, well, that's their locker room, Phil. And I was trying to listen for your for your voice, and then I came back, and I saw you finally here in the corner. I said, okay, there he is. And I thought, what the heck's Auburn doing in here? It's just a weird, weird setup. I gave
0: see. I mean, it's Bob, and Bob, you've been in some odd setups before in media. I mean, is it, it,
2: this to me was one was one of the more awkward situations I've ever been in for sports. Well, I'd like I say, as long as you're not, you know, loudly ripping Auburn, I guess it's <laughs> no, okay. Like- <laughs> I, only did that. I only did that, and I guess I could say this now, you know, because they're not in here now. It's not I get talked
0: behind their backs or whatever, what I was supposed to do. I was pretty open about a little dismay of, of Auburn's antics in the doubleheader that Arkansas split with them on that Friday on the Plains. Um, I mean, when they were heckling Kevin Cops while he was warming up in the... 12th inning or 13th inning, and he threw a pitch to the backstop, and then Auburn's players are heckling him from the dugout. I remember thinking and, and saying it on the air. It's like, that's that, that ain't right, man. Yeah. But So, I mean, I
2: don't, I'm Personally, sure they didn't know
0: about that. I'm sure.
2: <laughs> well, you never know. They, they might follow you on Twitter or something, you know. <laughs>
0: Maybe some of them do. I'm sure all of them are on social media. But they're gone. They're gone now. And uh, and, and the, the, the awkward moments are over. And, and now they're finally going to be out there playing baseball. This is a weird tournament, though, isn't it, Bob? It always seems to be. For one, it's a different format to try to describe to everybody. I mean, look what Arkansas is trying to do today. They've got to buy from the single elimination round into the double elimination round. If they win today, then they're back into a single elimination round again. It's like, you know... Trying to explain the SEC tournament sometimes is like trying to explain
2: Chinese to a Greek person. Yeah, it's confusing because the first eight teams, single elimination and double elimination, like you say, single elimination, and there are teams that um, you know. I, th- I think it used to be it was just, and the World Series was like this too. It was always you had to lose twice. Well, now you can, and this has happened to Arkansas. You can lose to a team that that's your first loss. And they've already got a loss, but they win, you know. Yeah. But a lot of it's brought on by TV because they want to have a decisive champion. They don't want to say, well, we just showed you a championship game. There's another one. We don't have time to televise that because we're going to, you know, women's softball or whatever. So it it is a weird setup. You know, it's weird to have 12 of the 14 teams make it and – um, but you, you always have some great games here. The crowds are great. I didn't stay for the game last night that I guess ended at 3 a.m. I was following on Twitter. I finally fell asleep and then woke up this morning and saw that uh, Mississippi State had won. I mean, that's the kind of game that's fun to watch, but it, it, it'd be a terrible game to cover um, if you're the media. You're just dying, you know, missing deadlines or whatever, having to stay here, you know, that late. And you Think about the grounds crew and the, the people that work, the staff, SEC staff. I mean, you know, if they went home and got two or three hours of sleep, that's probably the best they could do. Yeah.
1: Different setup for us today on halftime. Bob Holt joins Phil live down there in Hooper at the SEC baseball tournament. Bob, I think the, the funniest thing that came out of yesterday's game was Dave Van Horn, before the game began, went to the concession stand and got him a drink. And I know you asked him about it. How was that yesterday? Well, that was just weird.
2: I was up in the box, and somebody up there mentioned it, and then I cannot remember who, and I don't want to say the wrong person, but somebody tweeted something about it. And I just thought to myself, what the heck is Dave Van Horn, or any coach for that matter, doing in the concessions line? Because surely they have every drink you could imagine, and probably not alcohol, but any other thing, you know. They're not going to have a case of beer at a college dugout, presumably, or Jack Daniels or something, but presumably, you know, any kind of Powerade, Gatorade, Coke, Pepsi, you know, whatever. Well, they probably have to have SEC-sponsored things, and I can't keep track of uh, their Dr. Pepper. I can't remember if that's a Coke product or not. But. We have lots of Dr. Pepper and Sunkist yeah. in yeah, the uh, press box. I, There's I, no I, cola. Yeah, but I just thought that was weird, and I'm, I'm trying to picture, you know, and I know it wasn't like two minutes for Arkansas was going to play, but they were getting ready to play, and... Forty-five minutes, I think, after that game, minute. So you know, and it was a tie game, and yeah, Dave, I heard about it. So I thought, I told myself, you know, if Arkansas wins, I'm going to ask him about it. If they lose, that's really not a good question to ask a coach who just lost. But if he wins, and I'm going to, you know, I waited until everybody got their game questions in, and uh, then I asked it at the end. And yeah, Dave was very funny. I think he said, well, do, you, do you want me to get you something? And I found it said, well, no, we got all the free drinks we, <laughs> we want, but uh, he went in there at the line, and I guess right then they hit the crowd went crazy, hit the home run. I, maybe the concessions guy, maybe there's a TV there, but he told Dave the game was over, and Dave said, well, I still want to pay for my soda, which, he didn't say soda, he didn't say what it was, he said he did not want to advertise. He so it would I, not advertise. I don't know what it was. I assume it was a soda. And, um, because I know they have Gatorade in the dugout, and he said, well, I still want to pay for it. I don't know what it is here, maybe $10 for a soda or something, but but Dave said he had his own per diem, so he, he was okay.
0: You know, there, there was a lot of salt-of-the-earth sort of stuff for Dave yesterday. I thought it was funny. You know, he says, I'm just a guy. I mean, he really is. He's just, a, he's just a man. He just is a really good baseball coach. But even yesterday, while the team is taking batting practice at one of the side fields, uh, you know, they get there, and he sees, and Dave pays pretty close attention to the playing field. To the surface that they're actually playing on, the infield dirt was was pretty dry, and he didn't want to take infield on that. So he he grabs the hose. There's a hose on the field. He grabs the hose. He sticks it in the in the uh in, into the field. You know where they've got the spigot, and he waters the field himself. I mean, I, I, I wanna I wanna emphasize here, it's a regular person thing to do, but it's nothing that a head coach usually does. That's a groundskeeper sort of thing, or that's a student manager sort of a thing. Not only the head coach, but the guy who's been there for 17 years is watering the field so that his guys have a field that's prepared properly for infield-outfield.
2: Well, yeah, I think that shows that no matter how big Dave's gotten, how much success he's had, how much money he makes, and yeah, he can't afford to buy a few sodas, all these <laughs> SEC coaches can, that yeah, that he still hasn't forgotten his roots. I know t- I've talked to him in the past, you know, he started off his coaching career at Texarkana Junior College, where I think he literally lined the field and dragged it, and I mean, when you're a junior college coach, you gotta do a lot of stuff. And so even though that was 25 years ago, or however many years ago it was, um, you know, Dave hasn't forgotten that, and you know, um, yeah, I think he's a very down-to-earth guy, and, and and maybe other coaches would do that. I don't know. I, I'm trying to picture Nick Saban standing in line getting a soda or something. You know, that's hard. That's hard to, that's <laughs> hard to picture. Or John Calipari doing that. And really, Dave's on a par with those guys in his, you know, in baseball. I feel like
0: Saban would scare the soda into his cup.
1: Yeah, uh, boys. I remember there was. I, I can't remember what I, if this was SEC storied or what documentary it was, but I remember Gus Malzahn talking about how he used to cut the grass at Hughes High School where it was his first job, and I just think that's like, it's one thing to do that when your first job and you're getting started, kind of like Dave was at Texarkana Community College, I think is what you said, Bob, but it's a completely other thing for him to do that as a tenured Arkansas coach in the biggest conference in baseball.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was. Amaz- I also getting back to the drink thing real quick. I-, I was amazed that you know, if they don't have whatever you want in the dugout, you send like a GA or somebody. You know, you don't know, do it yourself. And I'm not trying to put anybody else down, but that, that just kind of blew my mind. And maybe other coaches have done that. I've never heard of that. You know, in, in-, in sports before.
0: He's definitely he's one of a kind. I, I think I think Dave Van Horn is one of a kind, and 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 it's because of of how there's nothing fake about him. You know there can be coach speak, but when but but when he gets past the coach speak, you get a lot of of in-depth analysis about the team uh, that he coaches, and I think a lot of things that other coaches would be uncomfortable talking about, Dave is not uncomfortable talking about. Um, And I don't know what he was like before, you know, you know, before I started doing some of these games in 2011. But he's an easy person to root for. I think sometimes he's miscast as being an intimidating, martinic kind of a coach. I don't see him like that at all.
2: Yeah, I'm sold. I actually covered Dave in 1982 when he played second base for Arkansas. I remember interviewing him. He's a great player. I believe he was a Southwest Conference newcomer of the year as a junior college transfer, and then got drafted by the Braves. And but, yeah, Dave's, as far as I know, he's always been like that. And speaking for the media, we love covering him because he doesn't throw guys under the bus, but he doesn't sugarcoat right. stuff either. He, he's very honest. Um, he's, he always gives great answers. He doesn't, like, cut himself off, you know, not complete sentences like sometimes guys do when you're typing a quote. You're like, hey, you got to say that last couple of words. And, then, you know, and so, no, we, we love covering Dave Van Horn.
1: Jeff's Clubhouse has the best brunch in town every Saturday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., bottomless mimosas, an endless buffet, and so much more. 2801 Old Greenwood Road in Fort Smith. More Halftime Pod coming at you.
0: I think Mus has made potentially more waves than Chad Morris has, even though he's had that great recruiting class come in.
1: Yeah, I think he's a little more connected with just kind of national media than Morrison. And we've talked about this. You don't necessarily have to be the most eloquent speaker to win football games. And I think Muss is a lot more plugged in and connected to the national media circle concerning college basketball than Chad Morris is concerning college football. But at the end of the day, it's about winning games. But yeah, and excited. Aaron Torres had him on his podcast this I week. Know. And so we're going to we're gonna get to talk to a sauced Aaron Torres tomorrow who's going to be at his bachelor party. So that interview is going to be very interesting. But yeah. Just uh, making waves, it seems like you're exactly right, Phil.
0: It was funny, you know <laughs> AT tweeted about it yesterday, previewing to all of his listenership. Uh, which you know is mostly focused uh, Kentucky sports radio, so I think it's mostly Kentucky fans. although well, he's got a bit of a national following. Um, and it was funny, too, because the the audio he posted says about how he's big in Arkansas, meaning Aaron Torres is big in Arkansas. And we're not the only show that he goes on. I mean, I think he's on uh, the Buzz in Little Rock sometimes. I think he's been on... on um, on a couple stations in Northwest Arkansas, uh, we've had him on consistently since we've had him. So it's one of the reasons he is big in Arkansas. I think we will get AT to make a visit, but I want him to come. You know, Must said he wants him to come as quickly as possible. I want AT to come in crossover season so that he can see uh, he can see basketball and baseball at the same time. I want, I want AT to come out in February, so m- maybe we've got to raise the funds if we're telling him when to come to get him here.
1: Well, in the interview, and you can listen to it by the Aaron Torts, Torres Force Podcast, it's, it's a pretty good interview, so I highly recommend it. He talked about with Mus, Mus was like, yeah, I'll charter you down here. And it was funny because I'm listening to that, and Eric Musselman got a chance to talk to Dana O'Neill at the athletic. There's a really good story on him on the athletic. If you got a chance to read it, I know Ruskin and Zach had her on yesterday talking about Eric Musselman. And it was just funny because in Reno, they didn't really charter. But now in Arkansas, he charters everywhere. So it's just kind of the different aspect of that. But yeah, it would be great if you could convince if Eric could convince Eric Musselman to charter him down from Los Angeles down here in Fayetteville. That would be one of the more funny stories that we've had with the guests on this show.
0: I have a feeling that probably won't happen.
1: Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. It might, He. It would kind of like you're saying, it would be a lot better chance of it happening before the season began. Once the season's in high gear, no chance, even though you want him to hit a crossover baseball basketball game.
0: Aaron Torres does a really good sports podcast. I listen to one as well, part of our halftime homework. Oh, I'm dead. I don't trust this kid any further than I can
2: throw him I got a question Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? Get out of my class Out, get
0: out I was still thinking of going back to school
2: I do my homework now The millennial versus the middle-aged It's time for halftime homework
0: So I listened to uh, Pardon My Take uh, Which is on the uh, Barstool Sports Network, would you call it? And it's two of the most you know, most well known of the uh the stoolies. Is that is that what they're is that what they're called when Correct. you work for them or you are a fan, which makes you a stoolie too, right, Ty?
1: Correct. You nailed it.
0: So it was PFT Commenter and Barstool Cat. Big Cat, sorry. And and I listen I listened to one podcast and maybe maybe it was the um the, the content uh, about it that just didn't it didn't draw me in so much. I mean, they're entertaining, they're two funny guys. And maybe part of the reason that I fell asleep was because I listened to it on an airplane. Um, but I fe- and, I, you know, I listen to podcasts like I listen to Aaron Torres' podcast. I listen to other podcasts while I'm driving back and forth between Little Rock and, and Fort Smith or, or Little Rock and, and Fayetteville. And I'm most definitely not falling asleep while I'm listening to those podcasts with my two hands on the wheel and my foot on the gas. So that's not gonna happen. On an airplane though, it's a different it's a different situation. And these are the only two situations I listen to podcasts, Ty. Huh? I don't listen to podcasts when I'm running. Um because I want music to get me moving. Um, I don't listen to podcasts while I'm preparing for baseball games. I usually don't have anything on at that moment, or I might just be critiquing one of my own broadcasts, listening to that while I'm getting set for a baseball game. Um, I don't listen to podcasts uh, while I'm laying in bed or if I'm in the shower. These are the only two places I listen. I listen on a plane, and it always puts me to sleep, and I listen in a car, and it always keeps me awake. Now you assigned me, pardon my take, last Thursday. I was in College Station, right? I have I, I have not had the lengthy drive available to me to listen to the full episode of Pardon My Take, which is really like these guys go an hour and twenty minutes. Well, these are the beauty of podcasts, right? I mean, we do we do a podcast, but it's just highlights from our show. Correct. We're still taking commercial breaks. Um, we you know podcast shows can go however long they want him to go. So I think these guys on Barstool have done two-hour podcasts before, two-and-a-half-hour podcasts. Some of the Joe Rogan podcasts go like four hours long. You know, he might be you know, smoking peyote during that uh, that uh, <laughs> podcast, but that's a whole other thing.
1: Wasn't it Elon Musk that was? Sm- yes. Okay, that's what I thought.
0: Yeah, I don't think it was peyote. It was just a really big joint that yeah. they were smoking. So, um, we're not doing that on our show either, or on our podcast. Allegedly. And I don't think. I don't know if. If pardon my take, guys are doing it, but um, you know they're talking NBA and it's entertaining to listen to them talk about it. And I think they know their stuff. The best part about the show was was they, they had Matt Barnes on, the former NBA forward, and he's talking about the famous fight that he got into with Derek Fisher when uh, he was he had uh, he had gotten. Uh, Martin's gotten a divorce. Fisher kind of slid into the into the vacancy. And he didn't have a problem with him dating his ex-wife. He had a problem with him living with his kids and that he hadn't heard about that. And so, you know, they get into this famous fight. Uh, and then, and then so they ask him, you know, was it awkward after that? Well, of course it's awkward after that. Barnes still wants to be a part of his kids' lives. Derek Fisher wants to be a part of their lives, too. He eventually marries the ex wife. You know, he's their stepdad. They're at soccer games together and everything. And so they have reached across the aisle and made amends so that they can stand there at the soccer games and not think, yeah, <laughs> I got into a, one of the more famous fights in NBA history off the court with this guy. So that was actually the most entertaining part of the show. And then they did some, some, this was this was 3 days before the game of thrones finale they did some predictions which of course nobody's predictions came true for the goal, for the for the game of thrones finale so it was okay if i'm going to go like a 1 if i'm going to go from a 1 through 10 and I, I i should probably listen again because i i did fall asleep because i cannot stay awake on an airplane I can't. I That's a to gift. It. That's I listened to curse, it from College Station to, who, to, to, to Birmingham, like an hour and 20-minute flight. It was an hour and 20-minute podcast, um, but I was probably awake for like 35 minutes of it. So, yeah. Thank goodness for podcasts that put you to sleep on an airplane. Ty, good assignment.
1: All right, Phil, I got to give you some credit. Fletch was good, and it held up. You were kind of worried if it was going to hold up or I not. I was. It held up. It held up, and it was fantastic. There are so many great lines for that movie. I think the one I took away... The best is when he walks in who's Tim Matheson's wife in that movie? What's her name? Do you remember? Oh, it's of course! A, I'm blanking on. It. I
0: don't remember what her name is, but yeah, I know. I mean, she's the she's the she's the love interest of the movie. Yeah,
1: and he walks in, and she's in a towel, and he's like, "Hey, can I borrow your towel? My uh, my car got hit by a water buffalo. My
0: and car was, just hit a water buffalo." I there. was
1: crying laughing when I saw that. But you have Tim Matheson in it, who's Otter from Animal House, one of the yep. more iconic movies from your generation. And then Chevy Chase, who I absolutely adore, even though I've only seen, I think now I'm up to like three of his movies with Christmas Vacation this, and Caddyshack. I need to watch more Chevy Chase movies, but Chevy Chase kind of reminds me of Will Ferrell a little bit, where Mm -hmm. he's just so good and so okay with being himself on screen. It's incredible to watch. He doesn't care what anyone... It doesn't matter what movie he's in. It's incredible that he can pull off whatever character it is. I think he's fantastic, and... I, it's been phenomenal to watch some of his movies. I the, really enjoy it. The
0: problem with Chevy Chase is that he always played the same character, and it was almost like, like Vince the same. Vaughn? Yes,
1: okay. Yes,
0: and that's why I mean, for for a guy who had, I mean, he was one of the most recognizable and marketable stars of the 1980s. But then things really hit the wall for him when he hosted a a, a, a late night talk show. I think this was 1989. it's funny, like at that time in the late 80s. You know, you had—I mean, Magic Johnson even had a talk show, which was—which is probably the single worst-reviewed talk show in the history of television. Was that
1: him and Arsenio Hall? Is that? No, him?
0: no, I don't think it was the two of them. Arsenio was a star at that point. I mean, I think that was just as Arsenio's show was taking off. Uh, Chevy Chase's talk show. Uh, lasted like a month, if that, and it pretty much was the start of the. It was like it was like jumping the shark. It was like when Chevy Chase's career jumped the shark. He did a talk show that everybody just completely hated, and uh, and and it, and he never got past that. I mean, so you know, he was Cops and Robertson's didn't work out for him. Uh, a few other movies didn't really work out for him, so you don't really hear from him anymore. But I think he was the he was the he and Eddie Murphy were like the two silver screen comedy stars of the 80s. And I got to get you onto some Eddie Murphy movies soon too.
1: Okay, Have you seen Beverly Hills Cop? I haven't. Is that with him in uh, the late? What's his face? And Chris, is Chris Farley in that too?
0: No. Okay. No. 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 Nobody knew who Chris Farley was at that point. Okay. I haven't. I. I, mean, I would have to download some famous music to assign that movie to you. So I'm not going to assign it to you this week. But I'm glad you like Fletch. Maybe I should assign you Fletch Lives, which was the uh, which was the sequel, which was okay. It was I. You know, if you're gonna, what would you give Fletch out of ten? One to ten. What do you give it?
1: Oh, probably. A, I think a seven's a solid number. I just really like old like. Comedy, funny movies like Day—I mean, I've told you about Days and Confusion. Really, really, just anything that stands out to me in the '80s, I'm probably going to choice. So I'd, I'd give it a solid six or seven, I'd say. But it was—I mean, it was great, and it was funny when you had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in his dream. The television, he just embodied Kurt Rambis in the '80s. He, he basically yes. described himself as the rough, tough guy that get rebounds and stuff. It's like, oh, you're talking—you're just trying to embody Kurt Rambis, which I thought was kind of funny and. <laughs> the other thing was when his uh, the love interest that Phil and I are both blanking on um, it was Tim Matheson's wife in that movie, <laughs> and he's and she tells him at one point he's like, "This is a really good time to make a pass at me," and I was just like cracking up. They're just there's a couple lines in that movie where they're just really funny. He just he's so. He was so witty, so fast talking in that movie. Like anything, he was, and he was good at lying, too. A lot, a lot of, um, a lot of
0: ad libs. I think throughout his career, really. In Caddyshack, a lot of the stuff that he did in Caddyshack was ad libbed, along with 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 Bill Murray. Um, I mean, just look at some of the stuff he did. You know, starting with Caddyshack in 1980. Modern Problems is an entertaining movie with Goldie Hawn. 1980. Vacation. You know, 83. Uh, Deal of the century. He plays a uh, he plays a uh, an arms dealer. I think Sigourney Weaver stars beside with him in '83, and then they're both in Ghostbusters in '84. Uh, he had a very short uncredited part in that movie. European Vacation, Spies Like Us with Dan Aykroyd, Three Amigos with with uh, Steve Martin and Martin Short. Um, I mean, yeah, he, he he was. I think he he and Eddie Murphy were at the top of their game then. So I'm glad, glad I assigned that one to you. I'm glad you liked it. And now you know why it's all ball bearings.
1: Yeah. And then the second assignment you gave to me, Phil, was the Beastie Boys. And... First of all, Sabotage, that's on slaps. Do you know what slaps means? You know what my generation, when we say slaps, do you know what that means by chance? Right. Does
0: this refer to a slap, like a slap bracelet, like those things that you generation slap on your really wrist yeah. and, and it wraps around your wrist really quickly?
1: No, it means the song's good, it's appealing. Oh, it
0: means it's, good, okay.
1: It's appetizing. That's, groovy.
0: Yeah. Would you have used groovy if this was the 1960s? <laughs> it
1: was It was groovy, man. Groovy, 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 like Scooby-Doo and Shaggy back in the day. But <laughs> yeah, that song, that Slaps. Uh, no Sleep Till Brooklyn, not bad. I really like You Got a Right to Party. That was a really good one. I've heard that one before, either that or pregame or something. That's just one of those songs where. If you're about to go out or something, you play with the dudes or something. You still
0: haven't—you still haven't hit on the actual assignment that I gave you. I did give you Beastie Boys, but there was a specific album. I wonder if that got lost in translation.
1: Okay, tell me what it was, and you got to list some because I listened. I listened whenever you assigned me. I'm not gonna lie, Phil. I always forget the album, but I listened like 20 songs. I just so
0: you know, I think you listened to Nasewari. Sabotages from Hello Nasty. That was like late 1990s. Um, Fight for your right to party. Uh, No sleep till Brooklyn. Uh, That is all... Um, that is all from the first album from Beastie Boys. Um, and actually Sabotage is not from Sabotage is Ill Communication. That's like 93. Intergalactic is Hello Nasty. That's like 98. The album I thought I wanted to, I want you to try to you should you still should listen to this cuz it's their best album. It's called Paul's Boutique, 1989. It's their second album and it's the best one that they made. Shadrack is on that. Hey Ladies is on that. I think, you know, I listen, you need to I listen, listen to, to Hey Ladies. ladies. I
1: listen to, I also watch the music video to. I think, what was the first one you listed Phil? Shadrach. Okay, Love that
0: one. Shake your rump is uh, is on that. Listen one. Listen so, to that. Listen to that. So yeah, and but Paul's boutique is just it's a it's a really cool album to listen from start to finish. B boy Bays is on that, and it's got like six or seven different tracks under that song alone, and it's really really fun to listen. So I'm you still it's like an incomplete. I'm going to give you an incomplete. Okay. I deserve an incomplete too because I fell asleep during part of my take. So we're both we're not getting passing or failing grades for this one. we we're, we're sort of getting an incomplete.
1: All right. So what's my. Ass- assignment for next week
0: okay so yesterday lsu and mississippi state yesterday and today i mean it was the game ended at three in the morning they played like a six and a half hour game that went 17 innings which is i think it was tied for the longest game innings wise in sec history um whether it's a i think sec tournament history i think there have been some regular season games um between two sec teams that have gone into the 20s um but you you, the, you know the longest game ever played in baseball history? You want to take a swing at how many innings it took? 21. Try 33. Jeez, please. I want you to look this up. This was This is the longest game ever played, and it took so long that it had to be spaced over the course of two days. Like, they told the teams to go home with a tie score after, like, 20... 25 innings or something. I forget exactly the circumstances around it, but this was a triple A game between Pawtucket and Rochester. So those were the Orioles and Red Sox. Minor league teams. Two Hall of Famers played in this game. It's a very, it's a famous game that I'm not sure if many people know about around now, but from the 80s, and we all knew about this. It was the longest game ever played. It took over eight hours, 33 innings. So you're going to need to look that up and learn about the longest game ever played in baseball history. Um, also. So this this ballpark that the SEC tournament is played inside is like a, it's like a minor league version of the old cookie cutter stadiums. Have you ever heard the term cookie cutter stadium?
1: Uh, that's unfamiliar to me, Phil.
0: So I mean, picture what the Oakland Coliseum looks like, where the Raiders are playing their final year. Okay. Multi-purpose. You know, the stands have to move in order to to uh, get the stadium look. You know, ready for baseball, or if it's ready for football. Um, And and that was, for years, the way that stadiums were built. You know, it kind of started with, I guess you would say it started with Shea Stadium in 1962 or 63, whenever Shea Stadium opened, that they were using. Now, for years, I mean, NFL teams and Major League Baseball teams shared baseball parks that weren't really built for football. Um, and then, and then you start to see some of these cities think, well, we, you know, we we got two franchises. Why don't we put them in the same place? And we'll build it with artificial turf, and we'll make it so the stands can move, so you have a configuration for baseball and a configuration for football. And these stadiums were built, you know, in they were big circles. That's why they were called cookie cutters because they just looked like a cookie cutter that you played. Plate down and 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 cut it into a big circular cookie. Yeah. And these stadiums were built in Pittsburgh, in Cincinnati, in Philadelphia, in St. Louis, in Oakland, and and that's what this stadium here feels like. You know, it's a it's a it's an institutional circular round feel. Um, you know, I think uh, Hoover High. Plays football here, so the, the and they they don't play baseball at this baseball park. They have their own ballpark, you know, their own high school field right next to the high school. But they use this baseball stadium as a football stadium with a you know a football press box right there. That's right at the 50 yard line, but it's first base for the baseball configuration. So it just got me thinking. This was I grew up going to three, games at Three Rivers Stadium, which was one of these cookie cutter stadiums, and it was a horrendous place for baseball. It was fine for football, but horrendous for baseball, you know. And, and, and your generation is used to, if you, if you are lucky enough to go to a Major League Baseball game or an NFL game, you're going to a ballpark that was designed specifically for the sport that it houses. And it wasn't like that for a long, long time. So l- learn a little bit about the cookie-cutter stadiums. Learn about Three Rivers Stadium, Riverfront Stadium, Veterans Stadium, Shea and Bush and even Atlanta Fulton County Stadium where the Braves and the Falcons shared the the same stadium for years and years I mean that's that's the stadium Hank Aaron broke Babe Ruth's home run uh, record so These stadiums were part of the landscape, the cultural landscape, and the sports landscape for years and years, and I just don't think that the millennials know anything about them.
1: All right, I got my two assignments. Look up the longest baseball game ever and do a little research on that, as well as cookie-cutter stadiums. Phil, I was going to sign you a movie this week, but with you having the regionals coming up and us doing the show, that's a lot on your plate, so I'm going to stay away from that. We had a conversation with Sidney Moncrief a little over a month or two ago, and I asked him straight up, do you guys think you got hosed in the 1979 elite game against Indiana State in mm-hmm. which they played the Sycamores and Larry Bird? This game is on YouTube. I want you to watch the last five minutes. Now, I know you're not okay. fully immersed in Arkansas gets hosed by either the SEC I still resisted a little or bit. Or I still NCAA. resisted some, yes. I want you to watch this game and tell me, I want you to look me in the eyes and tell me you don't think Arkansas... It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to go against every fiber of your body for you to think that they did not get screwed in that game because I'm telling you, man, there were some calls down the stretch in that game where I'm watching. Now, I didn't watch it live, obviously, because that's 20-something, or not 20-something years, but about 15 years before I was born. But my goodness, they got host in that game, man. So watch about the last five minutes. It'll only take you... 10-15 to 15 minutes, but it was an incredible game. That would have put Arkansas back-to-back Final Fours under Eddie Sutton. Unfortunately, they were locked, knocked out by Larry Bird. He wasn't even the one that hit a shot. I can't even remember the player that hit the shot against them, but Arkansas, I got absolutely screwed that game.
0: You're listening to the Halftime Podcast, presented by Jeff's Clubhouse. Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast at hitthatline.com.